0: In relationship with the Father. And uh, I love the quote that he gave us last week that really sets up the series that we start today. Uh, Maybe you remember this, what if we got so preoccupied with God that we forgot to worry? What if we got so preoccupied with God that we forgot to worry? And today we're moving into a series called Anxious for Nothing. Um, based on a book written by Max Lucado called "Anxious for Nothing," our huddles, our small groups, are going to be going through this on Wednesday nights as well. If you're not in a huddle, mark that on your Connect card today. We'll get you into one this coming week. Uh, but today we're going to look. We're going to start looking at Philippians chapter four, verses four through nine, and we're going to look at it over the next several weeks. We're going to dig into this passage of scripture. But today, the title of this message is called "Be Anxious for Nothing." Now a lot of times people will ask me the question, you know, Pastor, why are we using all of these books? Because, you know, we don't need books, we need the Bible. Um, And I think there's an error that's kind of crept into the church. The books that we study don't replace the Bible, but the books that we study are tools for us to dig into the Bible. Um, If we didn't want, if we didn't need to read books by authors that use the scripture and then make applicable truth to our lives which is what a book does why do you come and listen to me I mean basically what I do every week is take a scripture and try to make it applicable to your life and that's what a book does now if there's something in any of the books we offer that contradicts this book throw it out but if it it doesn't contradict if it lines up and makes this come alive that's why we use them And so we use them to help us gain understanding of what God's word is saying. Because I'm convinced of this. Some of us in this room have scripture verses memorized and we have absolutely no idea what they mean. And how do I know we don't know what they mean? Because we don't live them. We quote them, but we don't live them. And so, according to scripture, if you hear the word but you don't do it, you don't understand it. You're deceived. And so I want us to be able to understand something. So I'm willing to take six or eight weeks and look at five verses in the New Testament to make sure we get it and apply it. And that would be better than preaching a different passage every week and not living any of it, amen? And so that's what we're doing. And we're gonna dig into this passage. But anxiety, if you look at, he he really in the book goes into some statistics and I'm gonna share some of them with you today. Anxiety has become a huge problem, almost a crisis, in our nation. According to the National Institute of Mental Health, anxiety disorders are reaching what they call epidemic proportion. Anxiety disorders. So this year, 50 million Americans are going to feel the effects of a panic attack, a phobia, or some type of anxiety disorder. Our chests are gonna tighten, we're gonna get dizzy, we're gonna feel lightheaded, we're gonna be afraid of crowds, we're gonna avoid people. Anxiety disorders are now the number one medical problem, mental health problem, among women. Number one, among all women. For men, it's number two, only to alcohol and drug abuse. Anxiety disorders. The U.S. is the most anxious nation in the world. The stress-related medications that we take and the ailments that we have cost our nation $300 billion every year. $300 billion. From 1997 to 2004, that span of seven years, they found that Americans doubled their spending on anti-anxiety medications like Xanax and Valium, doubled it. The Journal of American Medical Association tells us that people in every generation in the 20th century, every generation that comes along now, is three times more likely to experience anxiety and depression than the generation that was before it. Three times more likely. This is the most staggering one, and I just, I don't even know what to do. The psychologist by the name of Robert Leahy studied children. And today, the average child exhibits the same level, average child, same level of anxiety as the average psychiatric patient of the 1950s. (laughs) I see it. We got kids worried about stuff they shouldn't be worried about. What is going on? And as you look at these statistics in the church, they're not much better. So with all of that in mind, let's look at Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9, if you're there in your Bible. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy... Meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. Before we really dig into this pastor passage or scripture, I want you, especially those of you that struggle with anxiety, I want you to hear a lot of things right from the beginning. And so I'll tell you before you maybe fall asleep on me. This series is not about shame, guilt, and condemnation. This series is not about picking yourself up by the bootstraps. It's not about just sucking it up. It's not about if you just pray more, you're going to experience peace. Um, I believe Philippians chapter 4 gives us some clear-cut choices that you and I need to make regularly if we're going to win the war against anxiety. But I also understand that people are not the same. All anxiety is not the same. I understand that human beings are complex, and this is not a quick fix for everybody. Okay? I want you to understand that, because sometimes it's going to feel like what Max is saying or what I'm saying is a condemning thing, or you're going to be tempted to be ashamed of yourself, and I want to set you free from that completely. That's not what he's saying, and that's not what I'm saying. In 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 23, it says, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you. That means set you apart. It means make you different than you were before. Make you different than the world around you. That's all sanctify means. May he sanctify you through and through, completely, totally, every part of you, so that your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our lord jesus christ we are as human beings a spirit that never dies and your spirit will either spend eternity in heaven with god or it will spend eternity separated from god in hell that's what we're that's what it's talking about okay that's our spirit our soul is our mind it's our will it's our emotions it's all of that that makes up our our character our nature who we are our personality that's our soul and then our body our physical body is this okay now our bodies can affect everything else how your body is functioning can affect your mental state how your body is functioning can actually affect your spiritual state because it can weigh on you so much that your spirit man actually gets crushed down and so we have to understand that we are body soul and spirit and I love that the church today has really gotten a handle on this because in the past we have made these anxiety issues, mental disorders, uh, we didn't know what to do with them. We didn't know how to handle them. And so we shamed people or we just told them they had to be more spiritual or pray more. And uh, we backed people into a corner and we did a lot of damage. And I'm I'm grateful that we've come to a place that we can uh, can understand through scripture that that's not necessarily the case. I want to share with you a little bit of my story. Some of you know my story. Some of you don't know my story at all. But back in the summer of 2010, I started having trouble breathing. And I had some unexplained pain in my body. I literally uh, would walk around a lot like this. Maybe if you were here at the time. I know other people recognized it. They asked me what's going on. Because it would alleviate if I pressed here. If I press here even today, I can still feel what it does in my body. uh, Because it just literally, everything would... I'd have pain all the way across my chest, right here, down my back, all through my body. It just, my body was just, it was almost like my nerves were on fire, okay? And I, I was having trouble breathing. I was physically exhausted. I went out for a run. I was training for a marathon. I got six miles into the run and could not run. Couldn't. Like physically, I just could not. So I had to sit down um, um, and I just, I walked back through that. And so we had some tests, went to a cardiologist, went to a doctor, went to everybody. No one found anything wrong. They sent me to a lung specialist on August the 2nd of 2010. I know this one because I can scroll back through my calendar and two because that was my anniversary. So August the 2nd, 2010, I'm sitting in this office and uh, the doctor basically says there's nothing wrong with you and he diagnoses it as stress and anxiety and so I'm like okay I don't know what that means but if you've ever if you have anxiety and you're diagnosed with an anxiety problem it doesn't make you feel better <laughs> I mean it's like counter in, counteractive and so um, I went home to see my, my doctor again, and he put me on, um, he put me on Lexapro, uh, an antidepressant, wanted to try it, and my system went berserk, berserk. It was bad before, it was bad after. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't fall asleep. So he gave me uh, Ambien. He prescribed a sleeping medication. I couldn't fall asleep. And if I did fall asleep, I would wake up. I literally would go three days, 72 hours with no sleep. I was I was terribly unfunctionable. Uh, great board and great staff at the time that walked with me through that process, gave me 30 days leave from the church just to process that, just to try to get my health back. And the whole time I was stressed that I'd never come back. And so I I came back early, came back too early uh, because I was afraid. I was afraid I couldn't come back. I was afraid of what would happen if I stayed away. And so uh, the anxiety just got worse. But um, the I went to a counselor. He, he said, stop taking the antidepressant. It's killing you. <laughs> and it really was. And so I stopped taking it. Uh, I met with the counselor for a number of weeks and started to try to work on body, soul, and spirit health. And really tried to to deal with what was going on. The Lord brought some great ministers across my path at that time that had similar experiences. One of them was a book I read called Leading on Empty by a pastor named Wayne Cordero who had the exact same experience as I did. He was out for a run training for a marathon and sat down on a curb and just began to bawl and didn't know what was going on, and his story gave me some hope, Uh, it helped me realize I wasn't crazy, because here's the thing, I used to think people who were depressed or anxious, you just snap out of it, just tell yourself, couldn't do it, I mean, telling myself, stop it, I don't want this, and it didn't work. I mean, I was on my face praying and crying out to God. I was studying Joyce Meyer because Joyce is like telling you got to tell yourself stuff, and you, uh, and I was doing all the right stuff, and it wasn't working right away. Okay, sometimes we want that quick fix. We just want to be all better today. And I had to keep pressing in. I had to deal with my. The reason I changed my diet is to deal with the physical, to deal with the emotional, and to deal with the spiritual. We're interconnected. And so I had to, on August the 31st, that was my birthday, the same year, 2010, my wife came with me to the doctor. <laughs> Men, of your wife ever came with you to the doctor? Um, because it, nothing was helping. And uh, basically, someone that I trust and love was a mentor, said, you know what you need? You need some Xanax. And as soon as he said that, anxiety went through the roof. The last thing I want to think is Xanax. Really? Are you kidding me? Um, and so we, we talked to my doctor, and he prescribed, he didn't, prescribed Xanax. He thought that was a little extreme to start, Um, and so he prescribed just a low dose of anti-anxiety meds, and I took it for a year regularly, twice a day, and uh, I found it took me months. It took me months to find a place where I felt normal. Um, I wish I could tell you eight years later, here I am totally restored. Uh, Here I am still understanding what's going on in my body, still with a a bottle of anti-anxiety medication everywhere. One in my office drawer, one in my my backpack, one, I take it when I need it. And I don't want to take it. I don't want to need it. But there are days my body says, hey, and here's why. You know, the church was doing well at the time, but I am a wired person that I just want to go 24-7. I mean, I don't want to rest. I don't want to take, uh, I mean, there's so much to do, and there's just not enough time. Naps are a waste of time. Naps are stupid, so let's just go, 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 go. I haven't been created that way. My creator says, I didn't create you for the Sabbath. I created the Sabbath for you. And when I disregard that, all bets are off. And I can feel it coming at at times now. I know it's coming. And I know I better step back, I better get the foot off the throttle, or I'm about to fall into a full-fledged attack again. And so I still have to battle it, and I still pressure it. And here's the thing, your story is going to be different than mine, and I'm not telling you to do exactly what I did, but what I am telling you is God didn't design you for this. He didn't design you to to be in, in perpetual states of anxiety. There is hope for you. And your journey is going to look different than mine. But if you keep pressing in and you deal with body, soul, and spirit, if you need counseling, if you need uh, someone, if you need medication, there's no shame in that. And that's what I'm here to tell you today. There's no shame in any of that. Okay? But you can't rely on that. Our faith and our anchor have to be in Him. Okay? And so ultimately, it's all a part of the journey. And so Paul gives us this passage of Scripture In Philippians chapter 4, and he tells us, be anxious for nothing. And if you struggle with anxiety right now, you're like, okay, thanks, Paul. Uh, I'll process that. Um, But here's, here's the thing. Our culture breeds anxiety. It does. We have now an increased awareness of every negative bad thing happening around the world as it happens. And some of us are so fixed. Some of you would be less anxious if you just stopped picking that up. In every conversation, you talked about how bad everything was in the world and how bad everything and, oh, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. You won't find that in this book, but you will find it here. And so when Paul says meditate on these things, he means it. I mean, part of our struggle with anxiety is just what we're meditating on, part of it, okay? Also, travel. I mean, back in the day, you only went as far as you could walk or as far as your horse could travel or donkey. Now we go, we go zooming around the world in and out of time zones and we're, we're up at sunrise, we're up before sunrise and we're up way past sunset. And it used to be, you got up with the sun and you went to bed with the sun and now we're up, we can, we we can survive on less sleep. We're just going to go, 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 go. And we don't understand. Our creator said, I didn't design you that way. Oh, but we know better than God. And so we're so relentless in our pursuit of stuff. And then we've got debt and financial crises and our 401ks are falling apart and all of this stock market stuff. And stop watching it. Good gracious, if you keep watching the stock market go up and down every day, get some Xanax because that's (laughs) literally what you're going to need because you'll be all over the place. It's a body, soul, spirit thing. You cannot do this sickness, disease, all of the worries and fears and parenting problems and child problems. and It's just relentless. And our culture breeds anxiety. And what we want to do is blame our culture. It's not our culture's fault because because of the cross, we have power to choose. And Paul says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. The pattern of this world that says you have to work four jobs. The pattern of this world that says you have to own all this stuff. The pattern of this world that says your kid has to be in all these activities. The pat- it's not just talking about sin. It's talking about how you were designed. How you were created to be. And so let's stop blaming the world and let's make sure we're aligning ourselves with the word of God. Now here's the thing. You're not going to be able to walk out of here today and put an ax to all these things in your life. Don't do that. If you're battling anxiety, that's what you'll be tempted to do. All right, Pastor Tom said, i got to cut all these things out, so I'm going to just go. The best advice, best advice I ever, ever got when I started battling anxiety came from Reg Hofer. I called him into my office because I didn't know what was going on, and I was in a panic attack, full-fledged, and uh, I was falling apart, and I said, I need to quit the board at James Valley. I need to tell him I can't do spiritual emphasis this week. I need to quit. My job as presbyter. I, I just, and he looked at me and said, stop. He said, take some time off, step back, get to a place where you're on solid ground, and then make some choices. Don't make choices as a reaction to how you're feeling right now. Best advice I ever got. And I tell you, I fought it for a long time. I wanted to quit everything, go hide in my room. And I did. My, my kids, my wife, they forced me to go places. I didn't want to go anywhere. I didn't want to see anybody because it just made it worse. Not that you were the problem. Here was the problem. And I just couldn't deal with it. And you would think as Christians that we wouldn't have to worry and we wouldn't have to be anxious and we were supposed to have a life of peace and we have the God of peace and then guilt and shame and condemnation. It's a downward spiral. And Paul says, be anxious for nothing. And Paul probably should have said, be anxious less. That's more manageable. (laughs) Or, you know, just be anxious once a week. Be anxious only when it's really bad. But he says be anxious for nothing. And here's the problem we read that, and so then when I feel anxious, I feel guilty. But what Paul is literally saying, because he writes this in the Greek tense, present tense, so it helps us understand, what he's saying is do not live in a perpetual state of anxiety. He's not saying don't experience anxiety. He couldn't be saying that because I don't bring on anxiety. Sometimes it just comes into my Well, okay, I do somewhat, but you know what I mean. And so he's not saying you don't shouldn't feel anxious ever. He's saying don't live in the, per, the perpetual state of anxiety. The presence of anxiety is unavoidable, but the prison of anxiety is optional. The presence of anxiety is unavoidable. But the prison of anxiety is optional, and anxiety is not a sin. It is not a sin. I have heard sermons about people that say worry is a sin. Worry leads to sin. Anxiety leads to sinful behavior, but it is not the sin. Now, the perpetual state of it is. Uh, Luke chapter twenty-one, verse twenty or thirty-four says, "Be careful, or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and." The anxieties of life. Jesus warned us, this could happen to you. Your heart could be weighed down by it. Don't let it. When the anxieties come, recognize it. Admit it. If you need a counselor, if you need medication, if you need help, admit it. There's no shame in it. I'm here today to sit before you, and I feel no shame. Years ago, I probably would not have sat here and told you all that's going on in my closet. I don't care because it's not who I am. And it doesn't have a hold on me, and it's not going to win the battle for my life. And so Paul gives us this passage in Philippians chapter 4, and he shows us what to do. And Max puts it this way. He gives us five verses with four admonitions, and those admonitions lead to one wonderful promise. Look at that promise right here. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds. Now, if I ask you, how many of you want the peace of God to guard your hearts? We all want it. And over the next several weeks, we're going to talk about the path to get there. Because he gives us some clear things that we need to do. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. We're going to talk about celebrating God's goodness. That's really what that is. He says, let your requests be made known to God. We're going to talk about asking God for help. He says, give your requests with thanksgiving. Meaning, leave your requests with him. And then he says, think about these things. So we're going to talk about meditating on what is good. And if we want to experience calm, that's what he's going to call us to do. And that's what we're going to walk through. We're going to look at a different part of this passage every week as we gather together. And you're going to talk about it in your, your huddles. And you're going to discuss it. And you're going to read it. And we're going to make sure that we work this into our lives so that he can sanctify us through and Through. Because here's the promise you can be free. You can be free. You can be free. Because God is ready to write a new chapter for your life, and He's ready to write that chapter. I want to give you just in the few minutes we have left, I want to give you the starting point. And some of this is just a review, but here's what you need to do first. Number one, you need to be restored to your Father. Some of you are afraid to write that down because you think you know it. You need to be restored to your father. This is why Jesus came. He says it here. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. He's not talking about when you get to heaven. He's talking about right now. You need to be restored to the father through the death of Jesus. And if you've never done that, that's the only place it's going to work. That's the one place it's got to start. But the thing is, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul says, All of this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. He committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal to us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. If you are not walking in a daily relationship with your father, then everything Jesus died for is really being wasted. That's what he died for. So you could be in relationship now with your father. So you need to be restored. The second thing you need is you need to know him. You need to know him. And this is how you get to know him. This book says he is a good father. He's good. Everything about him is good. He is for you and not against you. He loves you. He demonstrated his love for you when he, you were his enemy and he died for you. Look at what he says in Romans chapter 8. If What should we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him give us graciously give us all things. You need to know God is not in heaven waiting for you to mess up. He is perpetually for you. For you. He's not afraid to get in your face and tell you to stop doing something that's going to kill you or hurt you. But he is for you. Every single day he's for you. He's been pursuing you since the foundation of the world. That's where the scripture says Christ was crucified at the foundation of the world. It's crazy good. The last thing, the third thing you need to do is you need to get your identity and your security from him. From him. If you try to get your identity and your performance, if you try to get your identity in what people think about you or what people say about you, you try to get your security from your bank account, you try to get your security from your medication or from your doctor or from your friends or from your spouse, you will not It has to be rooted and grounded in him. And this is like Christianity 101. And I know that so many of you today are just saying, I know all this. But we don't. We don't live this daily in our lives reminding ourselves of these things. And we have to. Look at this. Romans chapter 8, verse 33. I love this. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who's the one who condemns? No one. No one. Oh yeah, we have an accuser. We have someone who accuses us day and night, but no one condemns us. Why? Because Christ who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God interceding for us. There is therefore no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 20, even if our own hearts condemn us, some of you, the problem isn't what others say about you, it's what you say about you. And even if your own heart condemns you, if you think the thought, don't say it with your mouth. He is greater than your heart. And he knows everything. Why is that there? Because you constantly are fighting this battle in your brain, saying, yeah, but people, if people really knew who I was. He does. He knows you better than you know you. He knows every dirty, rotten thing in your secret closet. And He is for you. And He died for you, even knowing it. Man, anxiety just puts us to, to death. And here's the thing in the body of Christ, yes, we're supposed to help each other grow, and we're supposed to point out sin in people's lives and weaknesses. And yep, and there are two ways. Write this down. Two ways. To pray for people, there are two ways to to point out sin in in people's lives, two ways. One is as an advocate, an advocate. You do it to help. Jesus is our advocate. The Holy Spirit is an advocate. They're interceding for us. We've never been treated as our sins deserve. When anything they point out is for, for our good. But the second way is as an accuser. In Revelation The enemy is called the accuser of the brethren who stands before the Lord, accusing us day and night. When Paul says, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, only what is helpful to build others up, he's not talking about swearing. He's not even talking about taking the Lord's name in vain. He's talking about the things that you whisper in secret just between you and your spouse or you and your best friend to condemn and to put someone else down. If you are not willing to go to that person and be an advocate, stop talking! because you are aligning yourself with the accuser. And whether you see it or not, you are working against the heart of a father who loves people and is pursuing them. It's not a weakness. It's a sin. And we've got to stop. And here's the thing. If people are talking about you, let it go. Let it go. He is so much greater than that. And you can overcome. You don't have to try to set that right. Just walk with him. Get your identity. Get your security from him. Take it from someone who has to battle it. It's possible. In Galatians 6, verse 1, look at this. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore. That's that same word, restoration, that we've been talking about over and over. Restore that person gently. But watch yourselves or you will also be tempted. In other words, you'll be tempted to just avoid it altogether. Because, you know, well, if I go to that person, it might not be good. So I'm going to just avoid it. And I'm just going to, you know, pretend it's not happening. That's not love. You'll have a temptation toward pride, toward accusation. You'll think, well, I'm going to point this out to them because I don't have any problems in my life. And that's the danger. Or you'll be tempted to fall into the same behavior they are. There's all kinds of temptations. But it doesn't tell us, hey, because of all these temptations, you know, don't worry about that person who's caught in sin. Uh, Every man for themselves. There is no every man for themselves in this book. So for people in America that just want to go to church and go home and just get your little religious fix for the week, you won't find that here. You'll find a call to be engaged and involved in the body of Christ and to stand with them through thick and thin no matter what and find a way to walk in love even through disagreement. That's what you'll find in this book. And anything else is an inferior gospel and should never be preached or taught. Why do I say all that? Because you have to get these things right. You have to be connected to the Father. You have to understand who He is, and you have to get your identity and security from Him. You can blame your mom, and you can blame your dad, and you can blame all the people that speak about you. You can blame your spouse. You can blame all those people. But at the end of the day, nothing, nothing, no person, no demon, no power can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And if you get so rooted and grounded in His love for you, you can find freedom. And yet, we've talked about this. There are boundaries you have to set in relationships. You have to tell people who are trying to come into those boundaries and suck life out of you, who refuse to repent of their behaviors. Yeah, you have to set boundaries and say, no, you have to stay out right here. You're not coming in here. This is reserved for people that want to walk in, in a healthy relationship. And some people say, oh, that's not biblical. Yeah, it is. If you read the book cover to cover, you'll, you'll find it. You don't let people into your life that are going to speak death into your life. You confront it gently, and then you move them out of circle. I know, we're really bringing everything. I'm trying to bring everything together. If you've been with us for the Keep Your Love On series, and you thought that, had no, that made no sense, Pastor, there, look, it comes right here. Everything connects. It's not like I just randomly say, hey, uh, what should we teach next? We try to build on a foundation of what we've taught you. And that's, we're taking you on a journey. We're trying to grow all of us, okay, into what God has wanted us to be. And so how we're going to end today, I'm going to pray for you. And if you're here and you're struggling for anxiety, be at peace right now because I'm not going to ask anyone to lift their hand and I'm not going to ask anyone to come forward because the last thing you want or need is that. But we're going to be here in the front. We're, in, in a moment I'm going to call the prayer team and we're going to be up here because if you're here and you're not restored to the Father you don't know what salvation is through Jesus we want to explain that to you more we want to get you restored to the Father today and if you need that we want you to come when we close the service we're going to be here in the front and we'll explain it to you we'll take, I'll take all afternoon if it takes this is the only reason I'm here But some of you are just battling anxiety and maybe you need a friend. Maybe you need someone to pray with you. Maybe you need someone to just look you in the eye and say, you know what? It's gonna be okay. I don't know how, I don't know when, but it's gonna be okay. Maybe you need someone to love on you, to hug you, to pray with you, to encourage you. We're gonna do that for you too. And maybe there's a friend in the room you wanna go to and just, they know your story and maybe you wanna pray together. And so we're just gonna kind of, after I pray, we're just gonna kind of end it. And let the Holy Spirit move, speak to you. Let you find a place of prayer. But I want to pray, Max writes a prayer in his book. And I want to pray that over you. And then I want to pray the blessing that God put in his word for, he put it for his priests to pray it over his people, for fathers to pray it over their children. And it's a prayer I like to pray almost every week over you as our body. And uh, I want to pray that over you. And after we do, you're going to be dismissed. If you need to, to go and you need to to collect your kids and you've got another appointment, just do it quietly. We want this room to be a place where people can pray, can people can just uh, sit before the Lord, maybe find a a few moments of calm before they uh, just jump back into life, process some of the things I've shared with you today. But I pray that I've encouraged you in some way that there's an end to this thing. There's a light at the end of that tunnel. There's a God who's with you even in the midst of the darkest moment, he is with you. And he just wants to envelop you right now. He's waited for this moment all of your life. And he doesn't want this moment to stay in this room. He wants you to take it with you. He wants you to stay connected to him this week. So Lord, you spoke to the storms. Would you speak to ours? You calmed the hearts of your apostles? Would you calm the chaos within us? You told them to fear not. Say the same thing to us. We're weary from worry, we're battered, but belittled by the gales of our lives. But, Prince of Peace, bequeath to us a spirit of calm. As we turn the pages in this book, will you turn a new leaf in our lives? Quench anxiety. Stir courage. Let us know less fret and more faith. Father, I pray your blessing over this body today. Every guest that's here, How would you bless them and keep them? Would you cause your face to shine on them? To lift up your countenance upon them? Be gracious to them and give them peace. God of peace, go with them, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Prayer team, if you join me here in the front, if you need to be dismissed, go ahead and do that quietly. If you want someone to pray with you, we're here for you. And uh, we'd love to take the opportunity to do that before you go. God bless you as you go today.